Hello, and welcome to The Future Report, a podcast hosted by social research company McCrindle for anyone curious about the future. My name is Ashley Fell, and each week I'll be sitting down with a guest to discuss a topic or trend that you need to know about. As you probably know by now, if you've listened to our podcast before, at McCrindle, we absolutely love to talk about generations. And one of the most well-known labels among the different generations is the millennials. Now, for a long time, the term millennials was synonymous with young people. And probably still to this day, especially in the media, everyone's like, oh, just those millennials equals young people. Um, It refers to those born between the years of 1980 and 1994. And our probably preferred generational term is Generation Y. Um, However, these young people today are well into their 30s. They're having children of their own, their parents to the youngest generation who are our Gen Alphas. And they're also emerging as leaders in the workplace and in their communities as they gain more experience experience as they get older. So today on the podcast, not only are we talking about this generation, the millennials, but I am delighted to have our first external guest on the podcast, uh, Shelley Johnson. So Shelley is a sought after HR consultant, and she's also the co-host of the My Millennial Career podcast. So I'm sure everyone can gather why uh, we have <laughs> invited her on the podcast today. So hey, Shell, welcome to the Future Report podcast. I am have been so excited to have you on and I, I'm so excited for our chat today. Oh, Ash, I have been, uh, it's a real privilege to be on the show and I've been so excited. Like this, we've just been chatting offline and I can't stop smiling because I'm like, I cannot wait to get into this conversation with you, Ash, about millennials and all of the things around their career as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, we've... um We've connected a fair bit over the last couple of years and it's just been such a delight. You are such a joy and I'm sure that's really going to come through on the podcast today. So, Shell, for people who are obviously who, who don't know you or don't know much about you, I wondered if you feel comfortable, could you tell everyone what generation you belong to? <laughs> yes, I, I am comfortable. So, I am 32 this year. Am I 32 this year or next year? No, this year. So, I am a millennial. <laughs> yeah. Is that oversharing, telling our age? <laughs> I was like, well, I feel like... Um, Mark and I once were talking about this. We we're like, oh, it's such a uh, kind of a nice, soft way to ask how old someone is. You're like, what generation do you belong to? But I love that you've just shared I've your just age. I've just gone there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, yeah, it's a good kind of big bracket, 1980 to 94. So I could have just said millennial, but I feel like, you know, in the interest of transparency, this is my age. <laughs> okay. Now I feel convicted to share my age as well. So I'm going to do Can that. Can you? Yeah. I, I am 29. So I'll be hitting the big 3 later this year. Um, Oh, it's massive. Yeah. You kind of move up into that next, you know, when you do surveys, uh, yeah, you know about surveys, right? Yeah. (laughs) You work at McCrindle. When you do surveys and you start to have to pick the next age bracket. Mm, yeah, it's a tough time. Yeah, we like to a we like to put them in the brackets normally of the generations, but sometimes okay, you'll cool. do another survey, and often I feel like it's eighteen to twenty five. I remember when I was like out of the twenty five bracket, I was like, "How do I feel about that?" <laughs> yeah, how rude! Like, yeah. I'm twenty five in my mind forever. <laughs> Absolutely, but that does put both of us as millennials and well and truly into the thick of it. And I was keen, as I shared in that intro, um, I feel like the term millennial. It's, it is a synonym or another term for Gen Y, uh, and that's the term that we prefer because we feel like it's a bit more um, scientific. And again, as I shared before, a lot of people, I think, use the term millennials just equals young people, but obviously time moves on and time goes on and the, these millennials are in their late 20s now, me, myself in their 30s like you, and 
I mean, what do you think about the term millennial? I mean, I never really uh, identified as a millennial until we probably started our podcast and I realized, oh, yeah, I'm in this kind of bracket. I don't know what it is about when you get older, but for some reason, I and I know I joked about it, but I stayed in my mind like at this certain age and I feel like I haven't progressed. And I always feel like my taste in music and certain things haven't progressed either. Like I've just, but one of the things that I think is really helpful about understanding uh, what it is to be a millennial is just to see some of those trends of the way that we were kind of raised, the way that we grew up in the workforce. And certainly in my career as a HR consultant, I've seen that play out where you've got some of these things that are um, behaviours that are kind of common for this group of people. And as a millennial, I there's some things, Ash, that I really identify with. Like I love a good brunch. Like I could have brunch every day. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, isn't it the best meal? And I have a podcast, so I think like, you know, how, how many millennials now have podcasts? Like probably like you do, we do. <laughs> we're two two for two. Yeah, um, 100%. And so, yeah, that's a great stat. 100% of millennials on this podcast have a podcast. I, I think there's other parts of it that I really don't like. So I really, and especially when I was early in my um career in HR, I really didn't like the the label of millennials as entitled because I kind of felt like, well, you know what? Entitlement isn't a millennial issue. Entitlement is a people issue. Mm. And you can see that across all different generations, that that dynamic. So I found that a little bit annoying. What's your thoughts though on that? Yeah, I agree with you. It's It's amazing some of those stereotypes that exist that you're like, yep, me. Like I remember... Um, yeah, when like the whole smashed avo debate was going on, yes. and I was like, but I, I genuinely love smashed avo. Like, <laughs> so basic that I almost always order it when I go out for brunch. <laughs> and you know, it's also I think what you're saying, like, um, I my colleague Grant, he was talking about this, um, some research we've done about you know love of coffee, and <gasps> how again like young people millennials our research shows oh look at me just going oh the young people always say millennials young people and I just did it gen z and gen y um often we're like oh yeah i'd pay 4 dollars every day for a coffee on the way to work and our grandparents are like what a waste of money how how dare you like it's a yeah. really interesting different perspective on money and it is a different context and a different times so that all plays into that um but yeah i agree i think i think over time, it has become a bit more of a respected term, if anything. I think especially as the millennials have gotten older um, and there's been a lot of um, millennials who have, you know, like us who are contributing to the conversation and almost coming out in defense of millennials and that whole housing market conversation where older generations like, oh, it's just because they're not saving money. And it's like, what do you mean? The, the issue is so much more complex than that. Let's look at the, the disparity in the house price growth versus wages growth and all those conversations. So, but yeah, I also think it is a bit more of an American term, um, I think, but it's, it is a good one. And there's a lot of conversation around millennials. There's lots of amazing podcasts that exist, including yours around that. And it's almost like in defense of millennials and yeah, I think empowers us. And there are some amazing yeah, research stats that we've come across that really show that this generation, it challenges with other stereotypes. They're not actually entitled. We're hardworking. Um, we, we're ambitious. Uh, we're not going to settle for, as you would know, I'm sure, like a negative workplace culture. We've yes. got different priorities compared to other generations. And that does come 
with the fact that, yeah, we're talking about a generation who are having children who are in those early family forming years in many cases. So that also plays into the conversation, I think. 100%. It is... Um, it's, it's just such a fun topic and, I, yeah, I, I do wonder what listeners are coming in to this podcast, you know, with in terms of their stereotypes around millennials. So I'm very excited to um, pick your brain on some things. But, Shell, in addition to hosting the My Millennial Career podcast, you were also a HR consultant and you've got lots of experience in this area. I'd love to hear about what made you decide to get into this field. So it's funny, Ash, there's two reasons that I think I – ended up in HR and then I've stayed kind of in that career. The first is one of my, what I would see as my why and part of my purpose when it comes to work is I love seeing organisations achieve their mission. And my job is to help them do that by developing bold leaders and epic teams. And I really believe if you get the people stuff right, the rest just works it becomes a lot easier. And especially in fast growing businesses, if you've if you've worked in a business that has had rapid growth, what we generally see is that the growth can either accelerate based on your people practices or it can deteriorate if we don't have that stuff in place. And so for me, helping teams grow and get that growth mindset and build a healthy culture is why I kind of you know, get up in the morning or part of why I get up in the morning. Um, and the second's probably like a more selfish and <laughs> anyone who knows me, Ash, and who's worked with me for like, you know, a week or longer <laughs> will be able to say, uh, Shelley always says this thing, people are weird. And I have to just say people are weird. Like I'm weird. I think you're a little bit weird. We're all weird and wonderful in this really cool way. And I just love it. I just love the weirdness and amazing wonder that is people. And the funny, hilarious stuff you see in HR, like you just can't make it up. It's like you go in, you're like, did this just really happen? And I just live for that. I, I think it is um, <laughs> it's the selfish part of why I do it because I'm like, oh, that's that just happened. That's like hilarious and amazing. And, and I think the beauty of working with people is that helping them grow, develop, and really seeing them and an organization reach their potential is just such a beautiful thing. Yeah, wow. It sounds like you're exactly where you should be. And I, I think I can certainly attest to that, even coming from a research background uh, in terms of some of the very interesting insights that we come across in terms of people's <laughs> attitudes or, you know, you put in like controversial questions and you get the qualitative responses and you're like, okay, there is a, a breadth of um, perspective here, but it, it's fascinating. Uh Ash, do you just go, because when, when we do like cultural or engagement surveys with organisations, my first place I go is the qualitative, like I go to the comments. I'm like, I don't care about all that data. I just want to read the funny stuff people have written because I love understanding that it's it's so nuanced. Like people are so different in their perspectives and I just, that's, it just fascinates me. Do you find you're kind of going to that, those um I don't know if that would be an outlier, but looking at those detailed comments. Oh, totally. I mean, the stats paint a picture in and of themselves. You get to know where the majority sit around a certain topic or an issue, but then the qualitative is where you do get people's stories or anecdotes or they just elaborate. And I, yeah, we normally do nationally representative surveys of a thousand people. So that's a lot of qual that we're sort of looking through and different tools to analyze that. But you do, you get um, 
like you get funny moments, you get heartbreaking responses, you get wow. heartwarming ones, like people's outlet for what they're they're experiencing around different topics and things. But yeah, it's it's just fascinating. And yeah, the study it's we're I guess both of us are working with people in terms of we're we're specialists in human behaviour. It's social research. It's not yeah. um, scientific lab research. It's studying people's perceptions and behaviours and attitudes. And I guess in many ways you're doing that, but more maybe in-depth with people and organisations. Yeah, well, one-to-one. And I was even thinking about it coming on this podcast and and wondering what my experience is. It's more anecdotal, right, of working one-on-one with clients or um, with business leaders and, and whatnot. And I don't maybe have the depth or the breadth of research, but when you see certain patterns emerge through those kinds of, of conversations, to me that's where we start to be able to form a view of of you know, how healthy an organisation is or the leadership or the culture. And that becomes really important in the HR space. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking about when you were sharing just earlier around helping businesses thrive. I think the conversation, I feel like I've seen it since I started working and, and left university in terms of even just that idea that business is about profits and businesses about outcomes and dashboards. And I think over time, the conversations, and it still is, it's shifting to businesses about people and the success of an organization really links to an organization's culture. It's not this kind of nice, fluffy add-on and addition. Um, And again, the last last two years where people are reevaluating their work and organizations needing to work hard at building that culture, whether that's decentralized, if people are working remotely or whether it's all in the office together, it's 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 a rapidly changing world um, in that space, I'm sure, that you're observing as well. Yeah, totally. I, um, this might be a tangent, but let's just go there for a sec. <laughs> I, when you're saying about how organizations have shifted from results focused to people focused, there's this amazing research uh, that I came across a couple of years ago from McKinsey on a um, really fast-growing business in Singapore that had had this huge rapid growth over a really short period of time. And their research uh, showed that to sustain that growth, what they were doing was really focusing on process results, outcomes, KPIs, but what they really needed to do was develop their leaders. So the growth of the leaders needed to outpace the organisational growth. And I think sometimes in in work, we tend to focus on what feels the easiest to control. So I can control the goals and strategy that I set. I can really control it because it's metric driven. It's, it's ta- it feels more tangible. What I can't control is how someone grows. But le- the best leaders set that environment for growth. And one of the things that I think we n- need to be doing, as you mentioned, is is shifting from solely focusing on results to focusing on the process for developing people, the process for developing leaders, because as they grow and if their growth has to outpace the organisational growth. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we've also seen in our research among Gen Y and Gen Z, just in terms of what their expectations are of work. And it's that career development and leadership development. And it's almost like this generation aren't afraid to go elsewhere if they're not getting that. And so it's also about not just attracting great talent, but retaining them as well. Um, I think that also plays into the conversation there. But 
yeah, it's it's incredible. And it's great that that conversation, I think, is shifting. And your, you as a HR consultant, I'm sure, is having a big impact on that in the organisations that you work with. But, I mean, as a HR consultant, Shell, and also as a host of a podcast about millennials and their careers, um, what trends are you seeing in millennials today and, and their careers? As we shared, they're, they're not the emerging out of university or school generation, that's Gen Z now, we're talking about people who've got a little bit more experience. Um, what do you think these emerging leaders effectively are looking for in their careers? I know it's a big question. <laughs> it is a big question. Well, if we just take a step back for a moment, so the working life on average, and you'll have better deep data on this than me, but it's probably around like 45 years, would you say that's Yeah, if not roughly- maybe a little bit longer. Um, oh, because that's sad news. <laughs> I know, because we're living longer and working later, but yeah. About that, or maybe a little bit more. So, millennials are about what ten years into their career, so twenty five percent of the way through, and they're starting to move into those positions of leadership. So, exec roles, they're on boards, they're mm-hmm. having more influence. And what I've seen in the last really twelve months, in particular, uh, is this reset. And so, they're twenty five percent of their way through their career. Oh, sorry, their working life. And now they're going, oh, what do I want to be doing? And I think the pandemic's obviously had a, had a huge influence in that. But the other day I was chatting to a client and she was telling me like, she's in a senior leadership role in this amazing consulting firm. And on paper, what she does, like if you were to look from the outside, you'd be like, she is successful on every level and she's had huge influence. She's got this amazing career progression kind of mapped out for her really and she was just saying um like I don't know what I want to do with my life and for me looking at looking from the outside in I was like oh like you like you look like you know exactly where you're going and and one of the things I've seen is millennials have pursued a successful career and I'm doing the air quotes right so a successful career as defined by external factors as defined by the culture that we live in and it's like well I want to get an exec role or a position title I want to you know have this big salary or whatever instead of actually defining success for them for themselves like what is success on your terms not what does success mean based on some arbitrary external thing Mm. and for, for millennials, one of the trends I've seen is they've wanted, and we did hear that early on when we started talking about this generation, they want fast-tracked career development. The pandemic's been really helpful because it's caused us to, to reset and rethink, hey, instead of what like does success look like um, culturally, what do I want to be doing? And it's a really simple question. Like, what makes me happy? What energizes me? What is my purpose and what are my values? And I love seeing people really, really taking the time to ask these questions and stop designing their career around external pressure or external definitions of success. Yeah. Wow. That's really profound. And I think something else that I think maybe plays into that is, and again, just over the last couple of years, we've had that reset is maybe prior to 2020, um, 
I was like, what year was the when, pandemic? When did, when did go? It's been going on for so long. When did it start? I was like, has it only been two years? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't, oh my gosh. Yeah. It feels like the longest time ever. Seriously. And, and also COVID-19. I'm like, no, no, it kind of emerged in 2020. <laughs> 2019 was a relatively like normal year, but it, even in that instance, like how, and I feel like I was definitely subject to it as well. The question of like, oh, how's work going? You're like, oh, so busy. Like it was a badge of honor in some ways. Yes. Like, And I even saw something on LinkedIn recently, a really helpful um, perspective, someone calling out this, I think, um, article about almost promoting that idea again. And, and they were saying, no, no, I, I thought we'd We'd, we kind of all agreed that we we don't wear that as a badge of honour anymore. It's not something to be proud of. Of course, busyness is good and if you feel like you're thriving and progressing, that's great. But in terms of that burnout, and I guess we wrote a lot about this, even like pre-pandemic in the Work Wellbeing book that we released. Um, but yeah, it, I think that's fantastic that if millennials are able to, like you said, sort of reevaluate what's important, withstand the external pressure. And I guess that comes as well with a bit of maturity and where your priorities maybe shift if you do have kids, if you're in that family forming stage, um, your career maybe takes on a slightly different perspective as well. So, Shell, do you see this perspective with millennials being different to to previous generations? I mean, especially maybe those who are a little bit older and more established in their careers? Yeah, I think it is really different. And I think we've seen some challenges and little clashes and the, the, I love paying attention to what those points of tension or conflict are uh, between certain um, age demographics as well. Work is so much more fluid now and, and we've all experienced that and people have different expectations, particularly millennials and Gen Zs and careers are just so much, they're not linear Mm. And actually, it reminds me, um, Ben Carruthers, he has a, a consulting business called Bright Pilots and he's he said this really amazing thing on our podcast, like I, I was in a couple, a couple of years back, I think. He said, the career is a jungle gym, not a ladder. And I, I was like mind blown because I still had some legacy expectations on careers based on, I think, like growing up in that kind of... I started work when I was like 19 in a corporate kind of setting and kind of went through from there and stayed in that environment. And I kind of saw my career as being a ladder and just hearing him say, no, it's not that. There's different avenues and we really need to start thinking about, you might fall off, you might go left, you might go right. It's not, it's not necessarily just this upward progression. Yeah. It's, I, I think I've, I've heard that before, um, probably you have having shared it and it's, it's, it's really profound. And I think in some ways it, like you shared, like you shared earlier, takes a little bit of the weight off or the expectation or the pressure that you just got to keep climbing or if there's a setback, um, oh no. And I feel like there are some, um, stereotypes maybe is not the right word, but even characteristics about millennials and even Gen Z where it's that idea of perfectionism um, and maybe that's, I guess, perpetuated through social media and the need to share all of your achievements. In comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great we want to bolster and encourage others, but then, yeah, the challenge of, yeah, like you said, comparison culture and, yeah, that idea that it's okay if you – take a step back or something doesn't work out and that's a, probably a lifelong lesson that all generations have had to learn at oh. different points but that's really really helpful I think and even if we think about the gen Z uh, gen X and boomers 
in relationship to millennials at the moment. One of the areas that I've seen of tension, if we just focus on one of them, has been around flexibility. And I think this would be across many businesses. Now, it's certainly not all, but as a response to we've worked the last two years remotely, I have seen this kind of pattern with with, um, Gen Xs and boomers where they seem to want to enable flexibility but still within a rigid kind of structure. And I think millennials and Gen Zs are pushing back on that and saying, no, 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 like I, I want flexibility my way, not not your way with the kind of legacy or structure that they've grown up in, which is a, which is a uh, byproduct of the environment that they've worked in mm-hmm. for the last however many years. Mm-hmm. And so that would be a point of tension that needs to continually be worked through and we will find like that happy medium. But I do think there's a little bit of work, particularly for execs, uh, to really think through, no, it's not about me forcing parameters on flexibility. Mm. It's about uh, me listening to what my employees want and enabling that in the right way. Absolutely. That is really well articulated, Shell, and, and something we're seeing as well. And again, I think really plays into that great resignation trend and conversation. Um, and I guess in their defense in some ways to older generations, like I can I can empathize and understand even as a millennial worker that that shift would be pretty hard to deal with. There's a lot of, and I think hopefully many organizations, the majority have been able to see our research does suggest that a lot of people said they were able to work well productively from home, but it did take, it was a bit of a shock and it happened really quickly. Obviously when the pandemic hit and we were sent into like lockdown and isolation, but the trust that the work will get done, the trust that people aren't, um, you know, for lack of a better word, lying about doing the work or that sort of thing. But yeah, it is, it's a, it's a really heaps more flexible um, environment now, which hopefully can help, especially millennials who are juggling lots of different elements of of life in that life stage. Um, But yeah, I think it is one almost warning not to be too dire just for, yeah, the older generations who are in those senior leadership roles and organizations that, like you said, younger generations' expectations have changed. And if there's not some meeting of the middle, they'll just go, okay, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. And trust is the word, Ash, you said that a, a, a couple of times. Trust is at the essence. It's not about a policy. Like, yeah, policies matter, but they don't matter as much as do I trust this person or not? If if it's because you don't trust them and you're putting a policy together to enforce that, you're making an issue about a different thing. Mm. It's like, no, if, I, if I, it's about the fact that I can't trust this person because they're unreliable and they're unproductive, well, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned it there, Shell, just some insights on the Gen Zs coming through. I mean, I'm sure that you're looking to to them and, and to the future and, you know, as they come through under the millennials, anything that you're seeing there in terms of, you mentioned a couple there just around flexibility, but anything further to add? I think this, oh, I'm so pumped to see them get into leadership roles. This is where I feel like I'm, I'm just so excited because there's so much more sense of purpose and and they're, they're quite values driven is what I'm seeing. So instead of that thing that maybe uh, us as millennials have grown up with with the external success, there's much more of a drive for authenticity and purpose. And I love seeing that at work. And I think that'll have a really big impact in the kind of exec teams when we start to see them get to that level. Now it could be a while yet, or or in some cases may already be kind of on the on the way up, but. 
I'd love to see that authenticity that they bring and the impact that that will have on organisational culture. Mm, it's really exciting. And like you shared, we've, we've seen that too in a lot of our research um, about this generation, especially last year we conducted a big study um, just surveying Gen Z, um, so not much about not as much about how other generations perceive them, but asking them what do they want in their career and and work and things like that. And it was around purpose and vision and values alignment. And they're, I think, going to live that out. And something else we often talk about with Gen Z is that many of them are so empowered through social media, through technology, that like a lot of them can set up their own website. They can start their own business. They can do a side hustle. Um, And so they're bringing other skills as well to employ as employees they're bringing yeah some really unique skills to the workplace so hopefully we're um yeah bolstering the gen z's and and if anyone who's maybe a little bit older is a little bit apprehensive about them coming through hopefully they can you know be aware of maybe the challenges but also focus on the opportunities that it presents to have a more diverse workforce of different generations as well absolutely and Shell, turning to your role and experience as a HR professional, um, I'd love to hear, and I um, saw something that you posted last year on LinkedIn, and I just fangled over it so much, about your best advice um, about creating <laughs> engaging workplaces. Um, so if people are, I think either, you know, I think I believe, and at McCrindle, I know a lot of our team believe that everyone is responsible for creating workplace culture. Everyone can contribute to it, whatever level you are at. So whether you're an employee or an employer or a leadership role or in HR, what's your advice about creating an engaging workplace? <laughs> I'm trying. I was looking off into the distance because I'm like, I can't really remember what I wrote. But I, about, when I think about creating engaging workplaces, I think first about what I think first about the upstream from that and the quality of your workplace is a direct reflection of the quality of your leaders and that can be confronting or it can be uh, hugely motivational depending on where you're at uh, as an organisation and and what your workplace culture is like. The best thing any organisation can do to make their workplace engaging is to develop their leaders and I see so many businesses, Ash, look for quick fixes. And so it's like, let's give people more money or let's put more staff on because we can hear people are stressed or let's do more fun team building activities and staff drinks or whatever. And yeah, those things are all, you know, good in and of themselves. But to me, they're poor substitutes to developing your leadership and culture. And that development of the leadership is a deep work and it's intangible. And I think that's why we opt for those quick fixes and quick wins rather than going, allowing ourselves to be confronted with the, you know, what's not working in some of our team and people dynamics. And then how do we grow as a group? How do we grow as a team? And the most the most engaging workplaces where people thrive and are really kicking goals, it's one where there's trust, accountability and growth whereas people are being developed. You mentioned before millennials wanting career development and those environments where people really do feel they're being stretched in a healthy way is a really positive and engaging workplace to be. It's not about the ping pong tables or the foosball things. It's like, you know, and I know that was a while ago when Google kind of mm-hmm. like first brought stuff out like that years back. And Liz, oh, it was Liz Wiseman 
in her book. She says this amazing thing. It's her book, Multiplies. She says leaders need to create the simultaneous conditions for safety and stretch. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of what an engaging work culture looks like. And organisations tend to err to one side or the other. So they might be more safety where we're all safety but we're really nice to each other but we don't have the tough conversations we need to to grow or we are all stretch and there's not safety or trust. And what we want to get to is that place of tension. How do we – we want to live in that tension but that's uncomfortable at times. And I think, though, when we get to that spot, Ash, that's where teams do the best work of their lives. It's if you can find an organisation like that, you never want to leave because you've got this environment where you're like, I'm trusted, I'm valued and I'm safe here, but I'm growing, I'm developing, I'm getting feedback and that's the type of culture business leaders need to be creating. Wow, that is an incredible insight and I just – I personally love the word tension and I just feel like it's because there's so many things and I think as humans we often go, it's almost like that false dichotomy, like it's one or the other. Um, but in so many areas of, of life, of business, of work, of relationships, there's there's tension of parenting. We wrote about that in the Gen Alpha book and I love that safety and stretch and you obviously need to hold those two elements in contention and you don't want to be too far one way because if you're too stretched then I guess that leads to burnout or not being not feeling like you're valued. But then the other way is if you're if you're too safe, then you feel like you're not growing or you're not developing. And we really wrote a lot about that, and we tried I, we tried anyway to communicate it through the work well-being book around yeah, work well-being is not where people feel like they're safe, and even the word well-being can conjure that kind of like calm, um, you know, cruising peaceful and not to say that we don't want to have that in our lives but rather it is often about yeah the stretch and the growth and that can be hard in the moment but then you look back and you celebrate as a team and and you yeah it's everything you said I'm just regurgitating in different words but that's no but the book the work well-being book was so spot on on that and I loved the research that showed what people want is to grow and the the healthy way of growing is when you've you've got a relationship with your manager or boss. And so for anyone listening who's not a business leader, but you are an employee and you're in an environment where you feel like maybe you don't have that healthy relationship, but it's all stretch, I'd encourage you to have that conversation with your manager like, and, and actually just raise it. Or if the reverse or inverse is happening where you feel like there's lots of safety but you're not getting feedback about how you can grow and develop that's the moments to go and approach your manager and say this is my experience here's what I'm feeling at work how can I have more of those stretch conversations so that you live in the tension point Mm. wow Incredible advice, Shell. I'm sure. I mean, I found that helpful. Even I'm just like writing oh, all these notes. <laughs> I, I like. It's not my work. It's Liz Wasn't. It's an awesome book. Multiplies. Everyone should read it. Mm, absolutely. Well, adding that to my Goodreads to be read pile. You've got so many things on your Goodreads <laughs> list, don't you? How long is your like read like want to read list at the moment? Um, I don't know if I feel comfortable sharing that. <laughs> Share it. Tell us. Be honest. Oh, it'd be like well. 
I just always find new books, and uh, we do a lot of Clifton Strength stuff here at McCrindle. Oh, and my number one strength finder is input. So I'm always like, I love reading, I love like researching, which I guess makes sense as to why I work at McCrindle. Um, oh, it'd be like hundreds of books, but even like the immediate like ones where I've, I've purchased them, and I'm like, and there's all these memes and gifts about like your TV red pile looking at you when you go and buy another book. Yes. It's like ultimate guilt factor. <laughs> it's like how dare you. I love it. You should really start on your Insta or your LinkedIn. Like, here's all the things that I'm, here's all the things on my want to read. Cause I'd like to just follow your want to read. Cause I feel like there'd be a lot of good stuff in there. Yes. <laughs> but although I will say just, this is like a slight admission um, that I feel like when I was working on the work wellbeing book, I was reading heaps of like business books and I felt like I was just learning and growing. And then with the pandemic, I was like, I need a break from like serious business ideas. And so I got into like heaps of like fiction and just were you like sci-fi and fantasy um or or more just fiction because i love sci-fi and fantasy yeah i know i do appreciate sci-fi and fantasy <laughs> i'm just like this stereotype catering to my absolute stereotype of like young millennial woman who loves romance novels and just oh like, yes i feel you man my it's, like it's guilty pleasure <laughs> my guilty pleasure but has just extended and even last year i was like well, there's not much else to do in lockdowns. <laughs> but yeah. um, I'm like, no, no, this year I need to get back onto the the personal growth trajectory. So I'm adding the multipliers to my list. Um, okay, and everyone good. here can keep me accountable there. <laughs> but um, Shell, I also wanted to just ask you a question because, well, one of many questions on the podcast, but just because you're a millennial woman, I know you're a mum to, to, to gorgeous Gen Alpha kids and you've got a great thriving career. Um, I know you've talked about this on being a guest on other podcasts and I've heard you speak about it. So I'd love for you to just share what challenges you see existing for millennial women today. Um, both of us are millennial women. So I, and we've talked offline about this, I the challenges know. and, and the, the, the tension that exists yeah. around career and family and having multiple de- desires for those areas of our life. But I'd love to hear what advice you have for millennial women, um, such as myself, or those supporting millennial <laughs> women when it comes to juggling their career with oh. various other commitments. Uh, well, I, um, I'm a wife to Sam and he's a dream boat and Sunny, my daughter, she's four and Bowie, he turns one next week. Oh, so I know it's gone so quick. And it's, you said tension again, and this is a tension. I talked about the other tension, live in that other tension, but I don't like living in this tension. (laughs) (laughs) This is one I want to kind of escape from, um, in terms of the it's it's high stakes. Mm. It's high stakes when you're juggling, you know, probably what I – absolutely what I see as my most important role, which is being a wife and a mum. And then the other important part of my life, which is, you know, I guess we all need to make money somehow. And so having a career is part of that, but it's more than making money. It's how do you uh, get energised and engaged and, and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. How how real Ash do you want me to go? <laughs> how real can we go today? Oh, let's let's go all the way. Let's let's, let's do it. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, it's tough, and it's I think any I've I've only been a mum for four years, so I imagine it gets way more <laughs> full on as I get to teen teenage years. But it is a really tough journey because I guess it it uncovers. And I think you mentioned before the priorities, certain things will shift your priorities and cause you to kind of reset. And becoming a parent is one of those moments where you really start to figure out what's important to you. And it's a beautiful 
process and journey to go through. And for me, the challenge was really uncovering some of the lies that I'd bought into in my working life and some of the things that I didn't really know were there because I had more time and I had, you know, more space. And I I guess the two real lies that stand out to me I, I would love to share because they've been really big, really painful lessons I've had to learn over the last four years. The first lie is that you can do it all. And I remember after Sunny was born, I went back to work pretty early. Uh, I was in the final year studying my master's full time and I would work all day, come home, I'd study till like midnight most nights. And at the time, Sunny, she, um, bless her, would wake up four times on average <laughs> night. And I just remember I finished my studies the week of her first birthday and I basically kind of fell over the finish line. And the after that I'd finished study, I um, realised the toll and the cost that it had on me personally, but also mainly my family was massive. And it was a long, long and painful story, but I ended up experiencing burnout and I had to take a, quite a good chunk of time off work, um, like quite a lot. And it was a pretty tough, I think, recovery of coming to realize the lie that I'd bought into of I can do it all. Mm. And I realized that that came with a big price tag and my work were absolutely amazing. Like they were, and my boss at the time, she's one of my heroes and she supported me in like, you know, it was just so beautiful how they kind of helped me navigate that journey. And so I was really like, I guess, blessed in that way. But I think I had to learn that lesson because one of the things now that I, I find myself saying to anyone who will listen, especially any mums who are, who are working, who um, will listen, is that you can't do it all, but you can choose what you want to do. And so choose wisely because for me at that time, I chose a certain thing and the impact and the fallout was my family and my health. And now I've learned, well, that that's not a that's not an option anymore so i will not do anything that comes at the cost to my family or my health it's just a non-negotiable and that's caused me to make some really tough calls even if i find i'm in an, an environment where that um is negatively impacted i'll make a quick decision to go well this is not f not for me and but i think just uncovering the lies that you buy into and and really taking the time to work that through is really important yeah. Wow. I've got another one. What do you think? Do we have time? Yeah. One more lie that I chose to subscribe to. Oh, yeah. That would be really – yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, this is the – this is another big one and I, I experienced it myself and also I have seen it a lot with other people and it's the lie that you are what you do. And you know that – you know that I'm saying like you are what you eat? Yeah. It's kind of a terrible expression but yeah. – I think we, we often buy into that lie that my identity and value is found in what I do and it's a really dangerous place to be. I've uh, had those moments myself where I find my identity like enmeshed in my career and in my job and I've also seen it play out a lot with during actually during redundancy processes. So when someone's made redundant, I've seen it regularly where 
all of a sudden they've lost their job, they've lost their income. It's a huge, huge um, stress and an experience that that really you don't ever want to go through. And the added layer is that their identity is caught up in their in their job. Mm-hmm. And so then they've realized they've lost all these things, but they've also lost part of who they are. Mm-hmm. And for me, my encouragement would be to your listeners is to make sure you're separating your identity from the work that you do. So your identity isn't Ashley Fell, the communications director at McCrindle. Your identity is Ash, you're a wife to Michael, you're an auntie, and I know you love your auntie (laughs) role, and you're a sister and a daughter and a friend, and you're a great listener, and you love input, as you mentioned, and you're responsible and super um, diligent and dedicated. There's all these things about who you are that come before the job that you do. Mm. And what I do has become and is always secondary to who I'm becoming. So I think if I can leave one final thought, it's you. who you are is more important than what you do. Wow. I I wrote all these notes, like how to connect that answer, but I just don't even think any of them are going to like – just live up to what you said because it was so eloquent and and so incredible and and I think yeah like even just you sharing your story and that's just so helpful to people because yeah you're right there are those I think lies that many of us are um fed and it reminded me of something that I read in I think it was Emma Isaac's book um where she kind of used the analogy of life's kind of like a stovetop burner and you've got Um, a few things going on. I think there were four. It was like health, career, family, and the other one I can't remember. But And she was saying you can't have them all turned up all at the same time. And it's that idea that you don't have to extinguish it completely, but that you turn one down as you go through different seasons of life. I found that really helpful because I think millennials are ambitious. Millennial women are ambitious and we've been given incredible opportunities and platforms. And for me, even that that prospect is a little bit scary when you go, I'm going to maybe take out some time to have a family if that happens. Um, but that's also really important. And yeah, I think for those for those of us who that hasn't happened yet, for those who are in that season now who are reflecting on it, I think your advice has been incredibly wise and, and so helpful. Um, but yeah, incredible, Shell. Thank you so Aww. much for being here on this podcast with us today. Oh, Ash, I could talk to you all day. So I'm kind of like, I just want to keep chatting. And I'm like, when are we going to have our next catch up? Just to, you know. I, I think the, the, the Work Well Being book t- describes all this stuff so beautifully. I feel like I've learned so much through that process of hearing the research, hearing what people um, are looking for when it comes to their work and their career. And, you know, I just think, Learning about what you want, not defining yourself by other people's versions of success is a really important part of figuring out your career and and making it work. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And I have no doubt that we will be asking you to come back on the podcast. Oh, good. Well, that's good. That's a um, a tick of approval then. Absolutely. If I I hear crickets from you, then I'll go, okay, something I said might have not hit the mark. (laughs) Oh, no. It was absolutely incredible. And yeah, just your, I guess your like vulnerability and sharing about your own life and your own story 
partnering with the fact that you're a professional in this space and you work with others and you know you've got anecdotes and stories and yeah you're a leader in this space and it's just been incredible to have you and I'm sure it's helpful for millennials themselves millennial women partners of millennial women um, those who are supporting millennials those who are trying to lead millennials I'm sure like there's just been so many facets I think would be applicable from your insights that you've shared today so it's been incredible thank you so much Shell for giving up the time and imagine people are going to be keen to find out more about you, about your podcast. If they are, where should they go? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. So Shelly Johnson, it's E-Y in case uh, you don't find me. So Shelly Johnson at LinkedIn. And then I um, also, you can find our podcast, My Millennial Career. So if you just Google My Millennial Career, it'll come up. And yeah, that's where we hang out. Uh, I'm sure you're going to get a few more followers, a few more invitations there from our audience because, yeah, you're just so wise, so eloquent, um, great insights there. So thank you so much again, Shell, for Thanks, being here. Ash. And Appreciate it. If people are enjoying the podcast, as always, we'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And, of course, you can stay up to date with McCrindle's latest insights by subscribing to the podcast or you can follow us on social media. So once again, as always, thank you for listening and bye for now. <laughs>